Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dan Spino. I'm the Belong Pastor here on staff at our church, and I get to bring God's Word with you to you today. Um, and before we do, I want to talk to you a little bit about life groups. In my role, I get to oversee our life group ministries. I get to partner with so many of you across our church that are already engaged in this ministry. But I know that there's a number of you that are not in a life group just yet. And I want to just take a moment to just to talk to you. You see, our life group ministry is our small group ministry. You can grab two friends and that, that's a life group, a group of three. Uh, we generally use numbers of five to 11, but we're very flexible on what that could look like. But the key thing is, is that these are groups where people come together and they grow together in Christ. That's what binds our life groups together. It's a, it's a discipleship type model where we're holding each other accountable, where we're getting to know each other in a more intimate and connecting way. And it's one of the key ministries of our church. And right now, this is a ministry that you can participate in. You can check it. You can get to get together right now. We've been given the green light. We can get together with people in small groups right now all across our area. So if you're not in a life group right now, I'd like to encourage you to check out westshorefree.org slash lifegroups. You can learn a little bit more about this ministry. There's a form there that you can click. Uh, and by submitting that form, you'll be letting us know some of your information and type of group you're looking for. And that our team will do our best to help match you with a life group. Now, when I say those words, I know that I'm eliciting some level of fear because as you think about a life group or getting involved, you might be thinking, "How if I get into a life group, am I just there forever? Like there's this fear of like being stuck, frankly. Um, and I want to just assure you that that's not the model we use. When we launch life groups, we do an eight-week trial period. We surround this with the word try and with the word grace. Um, so if after eight weeks, if this isn't a good match for you, you can step off and you could try another life group. Um, and everybody will understand and we'll gladly work with you. So check out westshorefree.org slash life group where you can learn more. Now, as we transition to our sermon, let me just open us in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this time where, where we get to gather together. And Lord, while we're not physically together, we are together, Lord. There's unity in the spirit. We're still, you're, we're still a church family. We're the church scattered. So I ask now, Lord, as we continue in our worship and our worship in our homes, if we're maybe even with a life group now, or if we're with some friends right now, or if we're just by ourselves, whatever way, Lord, I want to ask as we continue in our worship that you would speak to us. Lord, I give myself as an offering to you. Let my words be your words. The things that you want me to say, let me say. The things that you don't want me to say, help me to just forget, Lord, and not even say them so that people can come to know you more and that we can grow in our walk with you so that you can be glorified. Now I ask this in your name, amen. All right, to start our time off, we're gonna do a little bit of an interactive exercise. Now, if technology doesn't fail us, in a moment, you're gonna have a painting come up on your screen. This painting was done by one of the members of our church. Her name is Emma Burns. Uh, I asked Emma, how would she describe herself as, a, as an artist? What kind of art does she do? And she said that she's a realist. She paints things the way God created them. She doesn't add to or take away as she sees it. That's how she paints it. Uh, she uses acrylic on canvas. That's her preferred style. Um, so she shared some paintings with me, and I picked one of them that I want to share with you today. So you can see the beauty of her work, but also there's a connection as we are looking at fear today. So here, you should be seeing this painting come up on your screen now. Um, I wanted to just take a moment and take a look at it. I have a number of questions for you as you're looking at this. What, what do you see? What's, what stands out to you as you look at this painting? What do you notice? Maybe even what emotions do you feel? Or, or what memories 
are called back to mind as you're looking at this painting. Just, just take a moment. If you're with some others, maybe you want to talk about it. What, what do you see? Now, my plans were to give you a full minute. That was not a full minute. I know for some of you, that probably seemed like that was like 15 hours. It was not. It was only, only a few seconds here. The connection, though, is that identifying fear is a little bit like looking at a painting. If we sit long enough and really take in what we're experiencing, there are many more questions we might even want to ask. For example, why did the artist make the decisions that she made? Did you notice that the painting, in the painting, the path kind of winds around? Did you notice the way the light was coming in through the trees? Why did she use the colors that she chose? Why did she use the paint strokes that she chose? What's really going on? Or, or maybe if you're like me, when you saw this painting, you were brought back to a moment when you were on the trail and maybe God spoke to you or something like that. Maybe, maybe it brought comfort to you. Likewise, this is the complexity of fear. It's never quite what we really think it is. It's never quite like what it seems. Now, Trent has been defining fear for us in this way. He says, fear is the enemy of God glorifying faith. And I, I love that definition because it puts God glorifying faith at the, at the premise, at the most important thing. And any enemies that we have, fear being an enemy, we want to remove, right? So fear is an enemy of God glorifying faith. It gets in the way of God glorifying himself. And I love that definition. But perhaps for some of you, you hear the word fear and you think to yourself, man, I don't have any fears, right? Perhaps maybe you've been hearing, or hearing these sermons. Hey, these are good sermons. I'll take some notes, but I just don't have any fears. You see, fear is complex. We have to really press in. Now, if a bear was chasing you, if there's a bear behind me right now, there'd be a high level of fear going on inside of me and probably inside of Chris and Leo who are here with me right now, if there's a bear behind us, right? Or perhaps for some of you, maybe, if, if, maybe it's the dark. Maybe in the dark, you get scared. You're afraid of the dark. I know a fear that I have is big dogs. When we walk our neighborhood and I see a big dog and it starts barking, there's something inside of me that elicits some level of fear. But day in and day out, we don't have bears chasing us, right? We don't have these literal bears, but we do have figurative bears that come at us. Fear of not having control, for example, may make you act angry at certain times. Or fear of, of being alone may make you seek things to fill that void in your life. Or fear of, of, of not being perfect may make you feel shame or like you're not good enough. Or that fear of failure will cause you to take very calculated steps in everything that you do, right? Because you have this fear that, that you're gonna fail. You see, our fears are not always easy to identify. Kind of like sitting before, before a, a painting. Sometimes they're a bear, but other times, like that painting, you really have to just pause and figure out what's really going on. Why am I acting or feeling the way that I am? So as we continue in our series on fighting fear, make sure that you're really taking time to press in to what fears you have. And I'm willing to bet that all of us, my guess is that all of us have at least one fear. That's my guess. I'd say most of us probably have more than one fear. The question is, has you, have you taken time to actually identify what these fears are? Now, today we're going to continue in our series looking at weapons to combat fear. So I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that we're properly assessing what fears we might have, because these are great weapons. We're giving you really great weapons. We want to, we want to see you put them to good use. 
So today, as we continue, the weapons we're going to look at are by taking control of your thoughts, by knowing that God has chosen me, and by trusting, trusting God's provision and timing are perfect. So we're going to look at your thought life, your chosen life, and your provided for life. So first, we can combat fear by taking control of our thoughts. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was really interested to learn a little bit more about our brains. Did you know that your brain is about the size of two fists? So if you put, put two fists together right now, that's relatively the size of your brain. Now, what's interesting is that when you think about this size, when you think about these two fists and say compared to the room that you're in, or if you're in your car listening or, or wherever you might be, I'm willing to bet that this size right here pals in comparison. It's, it's relatively small. But what's fascinating, what's absolutely fascinating is the amount of thoughts that we have in this little space, relatively little space here, the thoughts that we have, if we could capture them, they would more than fill the room that we're in right now. Thoughts come flooding in and out at such a fast rate that if we could capture, capture them all and store them, the room that you're in would not be big enough to capture them. Our brains are made up of billions of cells, of, of nerves, and then trillions of supporting cells. These are, that's our brains. Isn't that fascinating? And the God who created our brains has a lot to say about them all throughout scripture. It's probably no, it's probably no surprise these complex organs that God created, he has a lot to say about them. If we look at the great commandment, for example, in Matthew 22, what do we hear Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In 1 Peter 1.13, he says, prepare your mind for action. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's a familiar verse for some of us. He talks about the renewal of your mind. King Solomon, all the way back in the Old Testament, right? King Solomon, what was his gift that he had? It was wisdom. People came from all over the world to hear what was on his mind. The Psalms, the prophets, they address our minds. And we can go all the way back to the very foundation of the world, back into the garden. And what happens? Sin enters the world by what? By, by faulty thinking. Salt, Satan comes and he says, did God really say? He challenges Adam and Eve's thinking. He challenges their minds. He starts corrupting their thoughts. Now, I probably don't have to convince you that, yes, our minds need to be focused on God. My guess is you've heard that. You don't need me to convince you of that. The problem is, is that our minds are rarely focused on God. Instead, they're often given permission to just roam at random. They're, they're just given this free pass to just roam and to think about whatever they want. Your thought life reveals what it is you fear, though. So we need to do two things the first thing is that instead of just letting your thoughts roam and just take off, we need to interrupt those thoughts and we need to interrogate them. And this will help you identify what are the fears behind these thoughts. So one way to assess what you fear is to examine your thought life. So how do we do that? Well, you can do what I call is the shower test, right? The last time that you were in a shower, now for some of you, it may have been three weeks ago, right? We're all working from home. No one's going to school. No one's going to, I mean, who, who cares, right? So maybe three weeks ago, or maybe it was today, right? Where did your mind go when you were in the shower? What was it that your mind drifted to as you're just relaxed, right? For me, that's where I do, my, my mind just, I'm so relaxed. It's just, my mind just wanders. And I'm just amazed at the thoughts that just come flooding in. Or maybe it's when you're laying in bed at night. Or if you're up in the middle of the night and you're laying there, what, what's going through your mind? What are those thoughts? When you have space in your schedule, when you have a pause in your day, 
What are, what are you thinking about? What are, what are those thoughts that you have? Or better, what are those mental conversations that you have? Who are you having them with? What is that person saying? What are you saying? Why are you having these fake conversations? Really take a moment and try to recall, just try to recall one thing as you think through that. Now, as you do, I want you to examine what you wrote down. And all you need to do is ask yourself, what is the root of that thought and how might that be encouraging my fears? What is the fear behind that thought or that mental conversation? You see, our fears are like parasites that just feast on our thoughts. And the more we give them food, the more our fears will just keep festering. And if our thoughts are just uncontrolled, our fears are just going to keep growing. Instead, we need to interrupt these thoughts and we need to interrogate these thoughts. Now, Paul gives us a perfect interrogation model. It's one of my favorite verses. It's my go-to verse when my mind starts wandering. And it's found in the book of Philippians and it's chapter, chapter four, verse eight. So Philippians 4, 8, we'll have the words for you on the screen. I'm going to read them for us as well. Um, and this is, this is from Paul. This is the interrogation model that he gives us. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I love, I love this verse. And I love that he starts with whatever is true. Right? He starts with what is true. This is a great interrogation model. We need to take our thoughts. Really, we need to like kind of put them up on trial. And we need to ask, what evidence do we have that this thought is true? What evidence do we have that this thought is not true? What are the consequences? If this thought is true, what are the consequences? If this thought is not true, what are the consequences? How then should we then act in light of this interrogation? You see, starting with truth of your thought is the most important place to start. Because oftentimes we'll find that the things that we're thinking about are not even true, but we need to interrogate our thoughts. But there's other questions to ask as well, right? As we just heard, is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it worthy of praise? Is it of excellence? Don't let your thoughts wander and roam aimlessly. You need to put to death any thought that does not pass this Philippians 4, 8 test. Don't let these thoughts fester and feed your fears because your fears are going to become bigger and bigger and bigger as they just keep eating up these thoughts. Your fears are hungry and they will feed on uncontrolled thought life all day long. So you need to interrogate your thoughts. And as you do, the strength and power of your fears will start to shrink. Now, they might not ever go away, but they will. Your fears will start to shrink. The second thing you need to do then, the second step, is to give your minds a new target. Right? Paul says, think about these things. Think about the things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, of excellence, and of worthy of praise. Think about these things. Isaiah 26. It's another verse that we have for you. In, in, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26 Verse three, it's another target verse for us. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Invite God into this process. You see, on your own, you can probably interrogate and interrupt your thoughts, but on your own, you're not gonna be able to completely stop them. 
And you're not going to have a target on your own. You need God's help. Meditate on God. Go to your memory verses. Look at God's character. Think of a new focus or a new target that's solely based on who God is. Because fear is the enemy of God glorifying faith. So interrogate your thoughts and address those underlying fears and invite Jesus into this process. We need his help identifying and rooting out our thought life. So that's the first weapon. We can combat fear by taking control of our thoughts. The second weapon is knowing that God has chosen you. Now, as you look through the Bible, as you read the Bible from kind of front to back, there's a number of themes that jump out to us. There's a number of themes that kind of carry through from the very beginning and all throughout the Bible. And one of these themes is is called remnant or, or what I would say remnant theology. You see, a remnant is a small amount of something that's left over. Now, it doesn't always mean that it's small, as in small in size. It's, it's small in comparison to the original. So like a remnant of a million might be a thousand. That's still, that's still significant. Uh, to give you an illustration, when I open a bag of potato chips, by the time I'm done, there's only a remnant left. There's just a small amount left because I love potato chips. Our faith journey gets tied up in this idea of this remnant. This remnant goes all the way back to the beginning. It's as if we're part of this impenetrable force that's been created for a long period of time. It's been built over a long period of time. And it's not like those couch cushion forts that maybe you're building these days. Those things won't last, right? This fortress is built by God. It's built by his hands. The fort that we're made of is his fort. And we see that God's chosen people have existed since the creation of the world. Now, I'm going to do some pretty poor justice to this whole idea because we need to go fast here. But I want to just do some markers along the way to kind of just highlight this chosen people, this remnant all the way back from the beginning for you. It starts with Adam and Eve, right? The very first man and woman, God chose them. God created them. As we move forward in the story, we go to Abraham, this call of Abraham. And God God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Out of your seed becomes a great nation. And he has his son, Isaac, and then Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, and then we see these tribes, these chosen people by God, and ultimately they end up down in Egypt, right? And then they leave Egypt it's through the book of Exodus. We, we see the story of them leaving and what ends up happening time and time again, they just, they abandon their faith, but there's this small remnant that keeps their faith in God all the way to Joshua and then all the way through the Kings. We, we see this small group of chosen people, different sizes all the times throughout the story, but it carries forward. We see David, is God's chosen king. And even when the people are kicked out of their land, because that, that, that's what happens in the story, they get kicked out of their land. As we turn to the prophets, we see that there's this faithful remnant that remains true to God. And as we read the prophets, we see that these, this remnant is marked by humility. They're marked by seeking God. They're marked by seeking righteousness. And what's amazing is that it's no longer just the Israelites. It's made up of people of other nations that are now part of this faithful remnant that are seeking God. And it gets better as we turn the pages to the New Testament, we see the birth of Jesus. And in Matthew and in Luke, the birth of Jesus is linked all the way back to Abraham and all the way back to David. We're, being, we're, con- we're getting the stories being connected back through Jesus. We see this faithful remnant continue forward in his earthly ministry. There's a number of people that start following him. There's some that choose to not follow and they fall away. But this remnant starts growing, starts growing through his ministry. And then what happens? They crucify the Messiah and the Messiah is resurrected. What is meant to defeat them ultimately makes them stronger. 
It just makes them so much stronger, this faithful remnant. And we turn to the book of Acts and we see the beginning the beginning stages of the church as you're figuring life out with, with now post-Jesus resurrection. We see the book of Acts and the most amazing thing happens. We get to act, Acts 8 verse 1 and the people are scattered. But this time as they're scattered, they take the good news of the gospel with them. They become the gospel outposts. No matter where they go, all over the ancient Near East, there's these gospel outposts that are taken off of God's chosen people. Such that when Paul in chapter 28, when he gets to Rome, Paul gets to Rome and who does he meet? He meets brothers and sisters of the faith, it tells us. They're already there before Paul even gets there. It's amazing. And the gospel takes off from there all throughout Asia, all throughout Europe, all throughout Africa, and eventually, yes, to the Americans. And you, yourself, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become part of this faithful remnant of God's chosen people. And as we look in the book of Revelation, it gets so much better because we see that this faithful remnant, God's chosen people are covered by the blood of the lamb and they get to worship God onto eternity. God does not abandon his chosen people. Nothing can take away the fact that we have been chosen by God. What I want you to see, what you need to understand is that you are part of this faithful remnant. We who call in the name of the Lord, your story goes all the way back to the foundation of the earth. There is depth and meaning to it. And it has nothing to do with us. Nothing at all. God does all the work. We were with some, some friends recently and, and one of our friends said, we bring nothing to the table. I love that. We bring nothing to the table. It is all God. How does knowing God chose you help you combat fear? Oh man, let's take a look at John chapter 10. John 10 verses 27 through 30. I'll read them. We'll have them on our screen. Hear these words from Jesus for his chosen people. He says, my sheep, my Sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you hear these words? My sheep, we belong to Jesus. And the Father, they are one. We belong to them. We are theirs. We are known by him. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, Jesus tells us. We follow him. He gives us direction for our life. We hear him. He gives us the words of life. We are giving eternal life from him. And we have this double assurance that no one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand nor, he, he, it doesn't just stop there, nor can they be snatched out of the father's hand and nobody's stronger than the father. That word snatch, that word snatch means to grab or seize suddenly. So as to remove or to gain control, that's never going to happen to you, never. No one and nothing can snatch you out of Jesus' hand or the father's hand. You can fight fear because you are chosen. You are chosen. When he chooses you, he knows you, he sees you, he hears you, and he loves you. So let me put this another way for you, because these are the deepest, these are the deepest longings of our heart. And my guess is they're behind a lot of fear that we have. 
you are known, you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. You are known, you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. And nothing will ever make that not true. Now, this might not address every fear that you have, but addresses a lot of them. As I was thinking through this, I was thinking through the fear of loneliness. You don't have to have the fear of loneliness. You belong. Fear of being misunderstood or not heard, you are heard. Fear of never doing enough, you don't have to work. This is a free gift of grace from our heavenly father. Fear of needing to work to earn God's love. You are part of a long history of chosen people by God. And this gives you identity. This gives you purpose. And this gives you meaning found in the source and the object of our faith, our savior, Jesus Christ. Owning that you are chosen by God will help you to root out your fears that you battle with. You are chosen and no one and nothing can snatch you out of his hands. Now, the third weapon that we're gonna look at is trusting God's provision and timing are perfect. And I gotta be honest, I saved the hardest ones for last. I was struggling with this one for a long time. Stephanie and I have taken a lot of walks and had half hour conversations on something that I need to now compress down in about eight minutes for us. <laughs> it's, it, this is complex. It's not, uh, not uh, that you can't understand it. There's just layers to this phrase, trusting in God's provision and timing are perfect. I think in our Christian culture, we've quickly adapted this language and just kind of throw it on people. Like, ah, you can trust God's timing and provision without realizing that there's some complexities to saying that phrase. The first component in saying that we are trusting God's provision and timing implies that we are waiting for something, right? If, we're, if there's a provision and timing needed, then we must be waiting for this provision and timing. So, so let's start there because waiting can stir up all kinds of fear. And let me just ask you, how well do you wait? I'll be honest, I hate waiting. I am a terrible waiter. And our Amazon-based culture has absolutely ruined us. I want what I want when I want it. And who wants to wait? If anything, if anything at all, this season that we're in, this kind of virus-based season that we're in, is really a collective season for all of us of waiting. And there's two questions that we need to ask when we think about waiting. The first question is, what is the condition of your heart while you're waiting? What are you feeding your heart? What are your thoughts? What's influencing your, your love of God? Where does your heart go while you wait? And the second thing, the second question to ask is what is the condition of heart after you wait? You see, some of us have come out of seasons of waiting. We've, we've, the, the waiting's over, the timing and provision has been provided for. What's the condition of your heart? Are you full of joy over this thing? Do you start worshiping whatever it might be? Or do you keep your eyes and your heart locked in on God? To help us with this, we're going to take a look at Psalm 130. Specifically, we're going to look at just, just two verses in Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. And hear these words as I read them for us. I'm going to read them for us relatively slowly. So Psalm 130, verse 5 and verse 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word... 
I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Listen to these words from the psalmist again. My soul waits for the Lord, not for things. My soul waits for the Lord. In his word, I hope. My ultimate hope is found in God, the very word of God, his truth, his promises. They are the breath of life. That is where I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, he says. My very essence, everything that's inside of me, the center of my life waits for the Lord. It actively pursues him and looks for him. It asks, what are you teaching me, Lord, in this season right now of waiting? What are you trying to show me in this season? What do I need to learn? And then we come to this phrase, more than watchmen for the morning. And he repeats it. It's, it's like, it's this intensifying, more than watchmen for the morning. And what this phrase means is, is literally like more than the breaking of day. It's a deep longing for God. Now, some of us are waiting for this virus to be over, right? A phrase that I hear, I'd say in most conversations is I'm done with this. You probably have heard this. You may have even said this phrase. I'm done. I'm so done with this. I am. I'm done with this. It's a common phrase. We're all in this waiting period for this virus to just be over. So putting this Psalm in perspective, then if we were to rewrite this today, it'd be like saying my soul waits for the Lord more than waiting for this virus to be over. More than waiting for this virus to be over. My soul waits for the Lord. My soul hungers for the Lord. My soul thirsts for the Lord. My soul is looking for and expecting God to show up and to teach me something. Is that true for you? When you're waiting for God's timing and provision, where is your hope found? What is it that you're longing for? And do we trust God? Do we trust in God's provision and timing, even if it means the answer is no. This then takes us to the second component, the word trust. Trusting God's provision and timing is rooted on trusting God. And you see, trust is an exercise over time. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend. If you don't know, Memorial Day is an American holiday in which we remember all the fallen soldiers who have given their lives for our country. It's a memorial. It comes every end of May. I think it's like the fourth Sunday. Every year, it's on our calendar. It comes. We know it's coming. It's there. It's a marker for us. We need this in our lives and our relationship with God. Only instead of just having it once like a year, we need to do this on a more regular basis. We need to constantly remember all the ways in which God has been at work in our lives. We need to constantly be looking back because when we do, we grow in trust as we look forward. And little do you know, right now, you all are, this, um, are, are part of an amazing provision by God. No matter when you're watching this or listening to this, it's still true. God has been at work in the past to bring us here today. Uh, just, I want to just go through, our team is awesome. So in our restrictions right now, we've, been able, we've not been able to bring uh, volunteers in. We've been using staff members, right? So that could have been a problem for us. However, God... Uh, let me introduce you to Jason Cornaccio. Jason came to us about eight to 10 months ago and said, man, I want to use my gifts for the church. He got connected with our sound video lighting team. About four or five months ago, he joined staff on our maintenance team. So now we have a staff member who's trained in sound video lighting on our soundboards, who's here full time. So when we do this recording, guess who's doing our soundboard? It's Jason. 
or Leah, who's here with us right now. Leah, who is our worship coordinator, her main job is keeping George in line. But when she's not doing that, she knows how to use the slides and use our projector and, and help us with some of our camera work in the background. Or there's Russ. Russ is our senior high leader, right? Who knew that he knew how to play the cajon? It's a gift that he had, that God has given him that he's able to bring forward now. Or there's Quay, who's our junior high leader, who we hired on staff, I think it's like about a year ago, and he's a quasi-photographer, right? So he ha- he's helping us work our cameras. There's Kelly Gordon, our communication leader, who's helping us with our camera. She's, a, she's an artist at heart, and she knows how to capture some angles for us. And then there's Steve Lockwood, our, our campus operation manager, or, or Ken Keck, our neat network administrator, who have, t- who have times have come in and help work the camera for us as well to help us bring this message to you, right? There's Noel, George's wife, right? George's wife, Noel. Who knew that she could sing harmony, a three-part harmony with Chris and George? That's the gift that God gave her that she's able to use now. Is that not fascinating? And then there's Chris, the captain of our team. Chris joined, joined us about three or four years ago and his skill set is amazing and it's on full display right now. And we can't forget his wife, Jennifer, who is probably the most generous and patient woman. She, both of them sacrifice for this service each week. God provided these people in the lives of our church years, months ago before this virus came. God's timing and provision is perfect. And I bring this to your attention because when we look at this moment and look back, we don't have to be afraid about what's going to come forward. He's delivered for us. He's, he's enabled us to continue to worship together. While we're apart, we're still worshiping together because of God's provision. And friends, when we look forward, I am confident. I have zero doubt. I am confident God's going to meet us there again. And we're going to continue to worship as a church family. I don't know what it's going to look like, but we can trust him because we look back and we see him at work. That's how trust is built just looking back over and over. Now we don't get everything that we want. That's not the way this works. That's not what God's timing means. And we often get things that we didn't even know we needed. That's the graciousness of God. And we don't get the things when we want them, right? That's the other thing too, right? That's not the way this works. We don't just like shake the God tree and get what we want when we want it. That's not true. We're on a trust journey with God. The problem though, is that when we're living present, we often get full of worry. When we're looking forward, we get surrounded by fear and we often forget that God will meet us there as well. We need to look back. We need to look back at all the times that God has been there over and over and over again, providing for us. The question is, do you trust him? Will you trust him? Some of us are in the middle of a hard season and God's perfect timing and provision has not yet been fully revealed. Will you trust him? Give your fears to God now and trust that he will show up as he has in the future. He will. You can trust him. It might not be exactly what you want or when you want it, but you can trust his provision because we can look back and see all the times that he's provided. That's trust. And friends, we've already been provided for. Remember, we're chosen and nobody and nothing can snatch us out of our hands. We need to live with an eternal perspective not on the things he's a good father and he gives good gifts. Absolutely. But we need to remember who's giving us those gifts and keep that perspective. And he may withhold for a season or even longer, but as we grow in our trust in God and his timing and his provision, our fears will start to shrink back. Allow yourself to trust God and trust in his provision and timings and see 
how that weakens your fears. So those are the weapons that we have for us today. Let me close us in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you first and foremost that we are chosen. By placing our faith in you, Lord, we recognize this chosenness that you've given us. And there's a confidence that we have in that. Lord, help us with our thoughts. Help us with our fears that just feed on our thoughts, Lord. We invite you into this, that you would combat that for us. Lord, and help us to remember all the times along our journey that you have provided for us and to trust that you will provide again because you are a good father. You are a good father. Help us now and lead us, Lord. Lead us to over, help us to overcome our fears. We can't do it alone. We need your help. So we invite you in. We say, come. Help us to grow in our God-glorifying faith. In your name we pray, amen.